Hello, Gamer Nation. It is time to turn our voices and hearts to more somber matters before we start out the show today. For those of you who may not have heard, Irvin Kirshner, the director who brought us The Empire Strikes Back, passed away last week after a long battle with lung cancer. He was 87 years old. Kirshner may be best remembered for Empire, but his four-decade career brought us pieces of cinema legacy, working with such greats as George C. Scott, Faye Dunaway, Barbara Streisand, Richard Harris, and Sean Connery. He was also a landmark film historian and teacher. George Lucas first met Kirshner as a student attending his lectures at USC's School of Cinema. When it came time to make Empire, Lucas later said, I didn't want to direct the second movie myself. I needed someone I could trust, someone I really admired and whose work had maturity and humor. And that was Kirsch all over. I didn't want Empire to turn into just another sequel, another episode in a series of space adventures. I was trying to build something, and I knew Kirsch was the guy to help me do it. He brought so much to the table. I'm truly grateful to him. Irving Kirshner himself lived to see the 30th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back this year. His colleagues and friends remember him with love and fondness, as a man of incredible spirit and with an exuberance for life. Always working, always thinking, always writing, amazingly gifted, and forever curious. We at the Order 66 podcast would like to pass on our condolences to Mr. Kirshner's family and friends and express our own heartfelt thanks to a man who brought such imagination and emotion to the world. Thank you, sir. You will always be remembered. A moment of silence for you. Hey there, Gamer Nation. This is Donovan Morningfire, and I'm sending in this bumper so Dave can't complain about the lack of bumpers, even if I never listen to the Order 66 podcast like the rest of the Gamer Nation. Of course, if nobody ever listens, how does Dave expect people to submit bumpers? Yeah, mystery for the ages, that one is. I can't listen to the Order 66 podcast anymore. I have to stay home and take care of the love child, Max Rebo and I. <coughs> Who's the cutest little blue elephant? You are. You are. Mm. Well, you should have listened to me, Ma, when she told me never to date rock stars. Or gungans. <laughs> Execute Order 66. Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com. This is the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by mapsofmastery.com. It's funny with all the technical snafus here this evening. This is actually 9 o'clock on December 12, 2010, and you're back for the Order 66 podcast, episode number 123. Ou de Of the Order 66 podcast. Indeed, I am GM Dave. I will be one of your leaders through the insanity of the evening. And the other guy over here would be GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? An insanity, indeed, it is. Holy heck! What a what a what a rough night it's been, technically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh 
gosh. Those, that... of, those who are in Echo Base in our live chat right now, we're, we're treated to lots of wonderful feedback loops from uh, the glory that is Ustream. Ustream, the dog continues. It is a dog, an absolute dog. But that's okay, because you're here now for some excitement. And as Dave mentioned, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And we're back on the air, man. What a hiatus it's been. It's been a couple weeks. It has been uh, just a few, and, you know, it's one of those things where we took off for Thanksgiving, and then... Uh, and then work kind of weird its ugly head. Yeah, yours truly did not even touch foot in my house until Friday evening, like day before yesterday. Mm. So, yeah, all of a sudden, boom, two and a half weeks. Let's be up back. We are back this week and maybe next week. Yeah, we should be back next week as well. See no reason why not. That's right. Because, uh, and then, heck, you know, we could have a the day after Christmas spectacular the following Sunday. Possibly. Yeah. That would be nice. If you're in town. So. Yeah. I don't even know yet. I don't know. I haven't asked my wife what we're planning, our plans are yet. Yeah. She's, she is the keeper of the schedule. We'll <laughs> just have to see how that goes, you know, what I'm saying. Because I'm saying, not really saying. But I'm saying, I'm not saying. But I'm saying, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So, um, why don't we just go ahead and get right to it? What do you say? Okay. Yup. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Indeed, the future featured, featured, I speak well when spoken to, hello, <laughs> the featured podcast this week. After long overdue, guess what? What? Why but is back. The first segment, of course, what have you been up to? For those of you that don't know what that means, of the Bruce City Gamers. That's their first segment, why but. Yep, why but. They're back, and the return of Bug. Oh, I missed Bug. He hasn't been on in like 30 episodes. It's been a long time, I know, but do you know <laughs> what? A monumental double entendre for BCG. We have episode 69, Wynum. And Dynam, episode 69. As usual, the boys from Milwaukee are in excellent form. Laughs galore. Great gaming talk. Uh, this time around, they're going to review some gaming news, delve into a, pool, a cool piece of gaming gear, which is the uh, Portable Warfare Sergeant Bag. Awesome minis. minis uh, yeah. Yep. And then uh, Wax Poetic about Bugs' epic Star Wars Saga Edition Legacy campaign and review the Force Unleashed Deuce. Ooh, so this is... Good show, man. Yeah, it's hilarious, it's fun, it's epic, and uh, be sure to give it a listen because it's not always. In fact, it only happens once in the lifetime of a podcast that they get to episode number 69. True that. That's right. True. But you can find that and a lot more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. So be sure to check it out. Check out all the various podcasts on our network. We have um, 
a slew of phenomenal shows, uh, you know, for your various geekery and role-playing needs. That's right. By golly. By golly. Good golly, Miss Molly. Good golly, Miss Molly. So what, what? Juicy bits of web goodness, yeah? Yeah, what? What? Like, you know, we've missed a couple of Wednesdays here, so... We have, and uh, which means we've got some catch-up, because the mighty Sterling Hershey is at it again. Um, and, of course, we're going to catch up with his continuing blog and Star Wars Wednesday. So, recently, Sterling posted up a nice bit of advice uh, on his blog on adapting existing published adventures to your Saga games, whether the adventures were written for Saga or not. <laughs> uh, sound developer advice, along with some helpful links for inspiration. Uh, should get any enterprising GM jump-started on the road to converting those old RCR or WEG modules. Very, very cool. Nice. You know what? Mm. Uh, most recently, mm-hmm. we get another treasure trove of GM resources. Not surprising. Yeah. You know, we get advice on creating exciting handouts and game aids for your players. Aside from his stellar recommendations on how to make good handouts... Sterling also provides links to the various free Star Wars fonts to spice them up. Oh, dude, that's so awesome. And I had, like, Arabesh in there. and Mandalorian. Like, yeah. Find it all right now, www.sterlinghershey.com. Epic win. Epic win. And while you're browsing the webs, you know, after you've gone to Sterling's site, and, you know, maybe you want to go back to d20radio.com, maybe to check out some of the various podcasts on the network, you might want to take a closer look there at the uh, little bitty uh, link that says, um, become a D20 Radio partner. Do it. Join join the dark side. We have cookies. Do it now. That's right, boys and girls. In fact, let me stop down for a second and say that email server went bananas, and so most of you... Got your maps from Chris West from mapsofmastery.com on Friday. However, about a dozen of you did not get them, and the attachment failed for some reason or another. All those have been remedied, and some of you just got attachments twice. So, you know, hey. Double your pleasure. Double the goodness. Ha <laughs> ha. That's right. So... So what, yeah. what is Dave referring to with these maps, for those of you who may not be aware? Um, Dave is, of course, referring to the multitude of people that are D20 Radio partners. Six ninety five a month uh, is what it's going to cost to make you a partner of the network. Now, what's that, what's that going to get you? It's going to get you a, a, a wicked cool color uh, on your name, as well as a special title at the d20radio.com forums. Um, you'll get the joy and glory of knowing you're supporting a network that brings uh, peace, love, and happiness to the hearts of oh so many. And perhaps more importantly to you, uh, in, in uh, conjunction with uh, Maps of Mastery and Master Mapmaker Chris West, every month you will be receiving some custom D20 Radio exclusive PDFs of map tiles from Christopher West. Himself. Himself. Via, via, via Dave. Via D20 Radio. Yeah. Us. These via, guys. Via. Yeah. And uh, like his December offering was like three tiles, um, variations of this this lounge tile that was really cool. I was tickled pink because one of the variations had a uh, had a hollow chessboard on it. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. And then the the other one that had the back to tank, the back to tank. And then like and instead of instead of settees, he, they turned he turned them into like uh, uh, you know stretchers, like like medical bay uh, yeah. beds. And it's like it's it's so cool. It's it's the same map, but it's the same tile, but it's three radically different uh, rooms 
Uh, it's it's again, it's it's epic. Wonderfully done, Chris. Wonderfully done. Fantastic. And um, you know, this isn't really news, but I'll I'll say it anyway that um, I decided to start a blog. Mm, yes, tell us about this. It's random, um, absolute random thoughts of randomness. It doesn't necessarily correspond to Star Wars, in fact, at all. So, yeah, if you guys want to check it out, d20radio.com slash gmdave will get you there. It's a blog, it's blogtastic. That's right. It's called Fear the Dave. Fear the Dave. We all should fear the Dave. I fear the Dave. That's right, dude. Because uh, I think my last one was a rant about um, flying. Flying. Yeah, because I wrote it while I was on the plane. Aww. And uh, made reference to the vacuous set of humans known as flight attendants, and I didn't know I had a deadheading flight attendant next to me. Ooh. The uniform didn't give it away? She wasn't in uniform. Uh, that was a funny thing. She... No. Uh, we got to talking like when we were getting ready to to laugh. I mean to uh, to land. And yeah, so she was actually deadheading from like Delta, flying on American. So you know, it's one of those That's things. That's wild and crazy, far out and solid. That's all right. You know, my I guess my piece of non news news is the fact that I got to play some Star Wars Saga Edition last weekend. Ha ha ha! Ooh. I uh, would have loved to have had you there, but you were of course out of town. Um. Had a, I just had a great one-shot game. A uh, good, good buddy of mine, good friend, um, Froby One Kenobi, um, is is in the armed services and is going to be shipping out shortly to the sandy deserts uh, across the, the big pond. And uh, asked very nicely, said, "Dude, I really want to get the Star Wars fix in before I'm gone, like for many, 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 many months. Many, so many. could you oblige?" And I said, "Absolutely." And so we had this awesome one-shot set in the KOTOR era, and he made a Sluissi, which is like the, the snake men, you know, like snake, snake body and like humanoid torso, you know? Dude. Um, he made a Sluissi Jedi tech. So he was a Jedi, but he had like tech specialists and, and like all these other tech, tech feats and like a level and scoundrel. And so he had like a tricked out lightsaber and like a wrist computer and all this other stuff. And there was one scene where they're in this elevator shaft with crab droids climbing down the walls, getting ready to barbecue them. He is hanging onto a ladder with his tail, jacked into a data port, struggling to hack the system to slice the door open, and uh, at the same time uh, deflecting blaster bolts with his lightsaber. It was utterly epic. Dude, that's cool. Loved it, loved it. Um, GM Chant showed up, um, rolled up a, a heavy, um, a kind of a heavy character. He made a, a rather unusual for him... Um, a Twi'lek noble who was a fencing instructor. <laughs> <laughs> that was his deal. Cat um, also showed up to roll up uh, a um, a Zeltron scoundrel uh, who was a spy for the Jedi Order. And, uh, of course, GM Brad had to make the rounds with, basically, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> the exception being, Brad's character was mute. Ah. Now, for those who know Brad, that... Um, that was a bit of a stretch from a role-playing perspective. I'm, I'm, big I'm time. Big, big, big time. But uh, the dude was all about uh, the ambush specialist talent tree, so that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, we had an absolute blast, and I really enjoyed the game. I wanted to thank those who showed up to help make it possible for Froby, and um, it was awesome. So thank you all for listening. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so I guess we can start. 
wanted docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Indeed. Uh, D20 Docking Bay, brought to you by nobody in particular. Just, you know, the fact that it is the Docking Bay is what sells itself. It's what sells itself. And this is, of course, where we answer questions uh, submitted by you, the listeners, to us, the hosts, in the form of email, uh, forum postings, PMs, voicemails, um, carrier pigeons, all that that, that, that nonsense. Yeah, that. We'll talk about how to get a hold of us at the end. And a bag of chips. And a bag of chips. So that, that's all good. So, dude, what do we what do we got today? What's what what are we what are we what are we talking about here? What are we what are we what are we what are we what are we? That's all, folks. We got a question from Pierced Geek. Awesome. All right, curious about feet. He writes, "I have a quick question. What's the use of the charging fire feet? You get to make a ranged attack at the end of the charge, but you don't gain the plus two to hit." And you still take a minus two to reflex. What possible reason would there be to lower your character's defense when you could just have them move around the same distance without charging and then shoot? Is there some other feat or talent combination other than Mandalorian training, which uh, which was many books later, that makes charging fire worthwhile? The short answer to your question appears is that you you can't move around the same distance without charging and then shoot. <laughs> um, this is a pretty common question, yeah, Dave. I mean, we, we've answered this once or twice, but it tends to yeah. come back fairly frequently. It's not it's not uh, it's not one that comes up enough for us to put on the frequently asked questions list, but it's still a good question. No, it's still, it's a very good question. So for those following along, Pierce is referring to the charging fire feet, page eighty two of the Coral Book. Now. The charge action, page 152 of the core rulebook, is one familiar to most gamers' use of the D20 system rules. But it works a bit differently in Saga than it does in other systems, as many of us are aware. And I think clarification on this point will answer your question. Uh, So charging costs a standard action. But in that standard action, you get to move your speed and attack your target with a melee attack. uh, Gaining, of course, a plus two to hit and a minus two to reflex defense. Charging fire lets you do all this, but make a ranged attack instead of a melee and without getting a plus two to hit, since momentum really doesn't mean much to hit when you've got a ranged weapon. Yeah. Um, so why would you do this? Because the charge lets you move and attack as a single standard action, so you could effectively move double your speed in a round and attack, and that's really hard to pull off with a ranged weapon in, in most cases. So that, that's kind of why it appears. Um, and as a side note, Dave... The Mandalorian training feat, which he mentioned, um, which also appears... It wasn't released a lot of books later. It was released in the very first campaign guide, um, page 34 of the KOTOR campaign guide, which was, I guess, the fourth book to come out after uh, Starships and Threats. Um, Great feat, worth picking up for anyone using Charging Fire, as it gives you the plus two to attack when using Charging Fire in your ranged attack. There it Um, is. There it is, along with a nice plus two will defense kicker. Bam. Great feat, great feat. If you're gonna get if you're gonna get charging attack, pick up Mandalorian training. Totally worth it. That's right. Because you can say bam, that just happened. Bam! That just happened. Yo. See, I said it. I said it. Alright. <laughs> 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 Alright, we have a question from the fat Rancantor. Oh, he 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 gives good question. Yes. <laughs> he has a question about computer. 
Computers, you know, the fad. They're going to go away soon. New question. I'm pretty sure this was uh, fired up in an episode, but not entirely sure which. Computer will defenses, question mark. How do you best pick them for a computer? Or do we fabricate an appropriate number? Any ideas would be great. Thanks, TFR. Uh, well, Raconteur, um, good question. Um, the best suggestion we can offer is the very same suggestion offered by the game developers, but often overlooked, in Galaxy at War. Um, the often overlooked computer systems section of the Bases and Battle Stations chapter on page 159 has details on assigning will defenses to a computer that's part of an enemy location. Now, now some computers and computerized devices, they have set will defenses in their equipment descriptions. Things like, you know, personal computers, portable computers, data pads, stuff like that. But for, for like the main computer for a facility, you're encouraged uh, to use the medium skill DC for the challenge level of the facility that the computer's a part of and make that the computer's will defense. That's what I'm saying right there. Now, what is the medium skill DC? Well, the medium skill DC by challenge level can be found on table 5-1 within Galaxy at War, located in page 143. Coincidentally, that's identical uh, to the tables, the skill DC tables found on the skill challenge section of Galaxy of Intrigue and the hazard section of the Unknown Regions. So, take your pick. Cool, dude. Awesome. All right, so... Uh, let's see. But, uh, but by the way, by the way, our, this is this is new background music you're playing. Is that is that Robin Miles? It is Robert Miles. Oh, Robert Miles. Excuse me. Yes, I think I have this CD. Like, you know, it's like like I bought it like 15 years ago or something. Yeah. Good, good CD. Good soundtrack. Yeah, it's awesome. I figured it was just kind of good ambient piano music. Very, play that. Nice. Yes, it's very very dreamy, very trance. Yeah, and it's a long song, so we can get through yes. uh, some of this stuff. So we'll see. All right, Ilmion Il- Il- comes in with a question about combining feats. And he says, While working with one of the Excel sheet character generators, I've noticed that if you have the weapon finesse feat and the weapon focus feat for a one-handed weapon, you get the benefits of the weapon finesse feat. For example, an axe is a medium-sized simple weapon. It is not light, but it is one-handed. With weapon focus simple weapons... I can have the benefit of weapon finesse along according to the sheet. My question is this. Is this true or some sort of house rule? I didn't find reference for this in the core rules. I've checked the errata and the clarifications. Hmm. Excellent question. Nice. Now as our so but basically the, the, the heart of his of his question is obviously with, with weapon finesse. You can only, you know, which lets you apply your dex modifier instead of strength on a, on a melee attack roll. Um, you can only use that with light weapons or, or lightsabers, right? Um, yep. And a light, a light weapon is defined as a weapon that is, is, is one size category smaller than you or right. smaller. So one-handed weapons for a medium character are usually medium in size. I mean, they can be, you know what I mean? Like an axe, for example. Yeah. Uh, so how is it the sheet is saying that you can, you know, apply weapon finesse benefits to this if you have weapon focus. Well, as yeah. our forum posters were quick to point out, um, one of the other often overlooked resources for this game is the combined feats section in the KOTOR campaign guide. Um, therein, you're going to find all kinds of new uses for combining existing feats. I mean, like 
cool stuff, like like combining dual weapon mastery and quick draw, which actually lets you draw two weapons at the same time as a single swift action. Very cool. Um, or combining dodge and charging fire to reduce your, your minus two reflex defense penalty for charging to only a minus one at the end of your range charge. Very nice. Um, now, in, in terms of your question, page 31 of KOTOR notes the linkage between weapon focus and weapon finesse, clarifying that if you have weapon focus for a one-handed weapon of any size, you are allowed to treat it as a light weapon for the purposes of weapon finesse. Wahoo. Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dave, there's this feat called Wookie Grip. Really? And yeah. What it lets you do is hold a, like, like hold a weapon that's one size category larger than you in one hand. You take some minuses to do so. But, so what this could theoretically mean is that with Wookie Grip and Weapon Finesse and Weapon Focus, you could hold Vibro Axes in each hand and apply your Dexterity Modifier to the attack rolls. Booyah, baby. It's pretty nasty. Although, you know, I tend to be a strength guy with the Wookie. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But you, don't, you don't have to be a Wookiee to take Wookiee Grip. Right, right. Beautiful. So there you go. <laughs> All right, last question comes from Green Lizard. Who posted up this question? Why on earth would anyone choose resilience over equilibrium? Does it have a special quality that makes it a better choice in some situations? I just don't get why someone would get resilience over equilibrium when equilibrium is so much better. What's the deal with resilience? What's the deal with resilience? I'm on the subway. Um, <laughs> so, dude, you know, in Saga, you know, the condition track is everything. And, and, you know, moving up the condition track quickly and easily is a very big deal. That's why talents like Resilience and Equilibrium, uh, you know, or Indomitable if you're a soldier, um, very, very important. Now, Lizard is referring to Resilience and Equilibrium from the core rulebook. Resilience is a Jedi-class talent from the Jedi Guardian Talent Tree, page 40, that was originally written to allow the user to spend a force point as a swift action, and as a result, immediately move two steps up the condition track. Very cool. Equilibrium, force talent from the control talent tree, page 101, which obviously any Jedi or anyone else with force sensitivity can take, which lets you do the exact same thing. Force point, swift action, except it removes all condition, negative conditions you have. It moves you to the top of the track. <laughs> so why, oh, why would you ever take resilience? Check the errata. My good man, the Errata. In the Errata, the Resilience talent was completely rewritten. It still only moves you plus two steps up the condition track, but now it requires a full round action instead of a swift, but it costs you no force points. So Equilibrium, it's still more powerful, but it's now much more expensive. I mean, dude, especially at low levels, you know, when you only got, you know, a handful of force points to deal with, the force points are rare things. You tend to want to save them, so resilience would tend to be a much more attractive option for those characters that don't want to burn their force points on this. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I can see it both ways. Frankly, if you're a force user, man, I don't know, what's your opinion? If I'm a force user, I, I would still rather take equilibrium just because, you know, I, I mean, yeah, it's a force point, but dude, all the way to the top of the track? Yeah, I would. Uh, there, I don't think there's any question right there. No, I'm giving minus, minus 10 to, to nothing. Boom, like that. And that, that's that's a big deal, but you know, hey, if you're if you're burning through force points and and you especially if at low levels, you know, you know, resilience can be a lot more attractive for you. 
So. I would say resilience, especially if you know your GM is one that lets you retrain things as you go up high and level. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then ditch it for equilibrium, then that would be fantastic. That That is an excellent suggestion. That's yeah. right. So, yeah, resilience still, though, um, is attractive at low ratings, at, at, low, uh, at low levels. So, yeah, definitely. All right. Oh, speaking of attractive, Lass is in the chat room now. Oh, boom, boom, boom. Hey, how about that? Last actually sent us a question, but we're not going to cover it this show, and she knows why. Gonna, <laughs> yes, indeed. We're going to make a whole show out of it. Make a whole show. It's a good question. Yep. It's a very good question. But if you guys, th- thank you for the questions. Good questions. If you want to send us questions, uh, gosh, Dave, how, wh- what's the best way they can do that? I would say the best thing is to send us an email at gmdave at d20radio.com, gmchris at d20radio.com, or call the loser line. There you go. 600 Wait a second. That would be incorrect. That would be uh, that would be not correct. Shall shall I shall I? Yeah, go ahead because I have no idea what the loser line is anymore. It's like it escapes me. So oh uh, two zero six two zero six five eight seven two or loser right? Two zero six six hundred five seven two. Yeah, two zero six six hundred. Damn five eight seven two L U S A messed up. I am all messed up. I'm reading. You know why? It's because you're a loser. I'm, re- um, I'm reading chat. That's all it is. It just is. You guys can also head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. You can post up your questions right there or send us a PM. We will take anything you have to give. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> and with that, we will stop down for just a few minutes and listen to the dusky dulcids of the fat raconteur. As we have the Species Menagerie, episode Tress. That raconteur's Species Menagerie, horn, tusk, and fur. Boys and girls to see the fat raconteurs. Species menagerie, horn, tusk, and fur. For boys and girls to see. This one's got moxie, kids. Welcome, Gamer Nation. I'm the fat raconteur, and this is the third episode of my Species Menagerie, where we bring species from around the galaxy and study them mercilessly for your gaming needs. Here at the Fat Raconteur Species Menagerie, we are always trying to push the barriers of species analysis and research, and what it really means for you, the consumer. When we established this facility, I wanted to challenge myself by publishing materials on species that would be mostly overlooked in the galaxy. I was also aware of the needs of a game master, and I wanted to really investigate the best manner to deliver ideas to them. So, take this aquata breather, you're going to need it to examine this next species. Today, we'll be looking at one of the many amphibious species of the galaxy, the Nautilans, found on page 15 of the Clone Wars Campaign Guide. The Nautilans were, of course, made famous by Jedi Master Kit Fisto. And despite the lovely personality description found in the book, I find, for a player character, that the Nautilans are a little flat. As a Nautilan, you get a juicy constitution bonus, but suffer both a penalty to wisdom and intelligence which is already quite a price to pay if you want to be Kit Fisto Mark II. 
Usually a species that has a penalty for two abilities and a bonus for only one should have something inspiring in their racial abilities to make up for it. The Nautilans kind of do. Kind of. The big winner for the Nautilans is their natural damage reduction. Thanks to their rubbery hide, <laughs> they get DR2. That's right, folks. Every hit you take from now on until the day you die will be reduced by two points. At low levels, that can be awesome. Higher levels, less so. The other yay button for Nautilans is their pheromonal sensor ability, which lets them reroll perception checks to sense deception and influence. And when underwater, you can keep the better result. These two abilities seem kind of cool, but aren't enough to get me going. Yes, you can't drown a Nautilan, and I'll love you for trying. And yes, they not only can reroll swim checks, they can also take 10 on swim checks when threatened and distracted. But even then, most players, including myself, will feel that Nautilans can only really be awesome underwater. I would hit you over the face with the traditional, if your GM's good, he'll have encounters set up in water and stuff. No. Here at the Fat Raconteur Species Menagerie, we realize that a player would rarely select Nautilans as a species choice. However, GMs of the world, I want you to hear my call. You can use the Nautilans here as a great way to really change the flavors of your encounters. Your PCs might not play them. That doesn't mean you shouldn't use them. If you've always wanted to have underwater encounters, I can't think of a better species to use, given their amazing swim capabilities, and let's see your party bluffer try to lie to a Nautilan chief or politician while they're underwater. It's never going to happen. Then, take the DR of a Nautilan and their constitution bonus, and you've got some real problems. At higher levels, get some elite trooper Nautilans and watch them absorb 4 to 6 points of damage every hit. This presents very new and refreshing ways to challenge your players, on top of having them fight underwater. Underwater combat plus Nautilan threats makes for a highly fun way to change the feel of an encounter, an adventure, and hell, if you want, you can change the feel of an entire campaign just by making your staple threats Nautilans. Be it a party of Nautilan scoundrel pirates, mercenaries, or a local tribe on Nautila you need to get by. GMs write into your stories an excuse to use Nautilans underwater, and I promise you, your PCs will have fun dealing with very unique threats. Ah, uh, but converting the threats in books is so time-consuming, Fat Raconteur. Well, we wouldn't be the Fat Raconteur species menagerie if we didn't do the work for you. So here it is, converting Nautilan 101. Defenses, plus one to fortitude, minus one to will. Speed, remains at six, but they can also have a swim speed of four. HP. Add their level in hit points, and then add DR2. Attack rolls. All attack roll modifiers stay the same. Skills. Remove one skill. Add the racial abilities, and done. That's it. With a wave of your hand, you can turn a squad of stormtroopers into a troop of Nautilan pirates, a senator into a Nautilan chief. One of the defining characteristics of Star Wars, and more so in the RPG, is that the galaxy is populated by hundreds of species, and that in any given day, I can see like 20 of them. So, GMs out there, I challenge you to put the Nautilans into your game, and I promise you, your players will enjoy it. If you really want to step it up, go online and get yourself four or so of the Nautilan minis wielding two pistols, because I've yet to see a cooler looking mini. Well, that's it for today. Again, if you have any requests, questions, commentary, or flattery, please send it all in a PM to the Fat Raconteur on D20 Radio's forums, and until next time, as we say around here, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. Just don't be gungan. Bing. Well done, as usual, Raconteur. I I think underwater, um, 
underwater encounters, underwater threats intimidate a lot of GMs, um, and they should intimidate players. <laughs> but man, this that's good advice, you know. And and using uh, aquatic species like that, you, know, you can really spice up an encounter. So, good suggestion. Beautiful. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh... Yes. So, being Batman Part 712. Yes. So, dude, what did you um, what did you come back with from Tatooine this week? So, it's a marvel of new technology, and yet again, will make you more and more like Batman, which is which is what we want. Absolutely, who doesn't want that? I, I, I you, you know who doesn't want that? Communists. That's who. Communists. Absolutely. That's right. Ah. Yeah, that's right. So, this is the uh, ambient aural amplifier. Ooh, alliteration. Yes. So, devices to amplify listening capability, you know, have been around for centuries. Yeah. But they've always been real bulky, requiring power cells. The uh, There's new technology behind the ambient aural amplifier, which is somewhat amazing. Now, uh, this is a tiny item, weighs only half a kilo. Draws its power from the body heat of any warm-blooded creature that wears it, giving it effectively an unlimited operation time. Sweetness. It's nice. So it uses the same uh, technology found in protocol droids. The amplifier doesn't just increase the volume of the sound it hears. It actually picks out the sounds that are likely to be useful and amplifies those. <laughs> yes. Cool. So the, the upshot of uh, which is that you can use it in a crowded room filled with people and still easily pick up a single hushed conversation. Gotcha. Can you say a miracle here? So, okay, well, me mechanically, what, what does this mean, though? Okay, so uh, the result of this, a plus five equipment bonus to any perception check made to eavesdrop or hear distant or ambient noises. All right, however, 3,000 credits. Oh. <laughs> All right, so if you suck... Uh, at uh, perception, though, uh, it's not really that bad. No, no. Or you know? if you're like a, a super perceptive guy and you want to be even better. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true too. But uh, check it out, page fifty-one, Rebellion Era Campaign Guide. Dude, totally doing. I'm I'm fl I'm flipping pages right now. Flipping burgers at the Seven Eleven. No, no, you don't actually. Done. Uh, so so we can we can safely tuck this little gadget away in our in our bat utility belt, or in your ear. How about that? All right, so uh, here you go, dude. We're, uh, we're back for like a, a mini segment for a minute and a half, and then we're back, uh, gone again for fragments from the rim. Totally worth it. Totally. Episode number 68, Fragments of the Rim. And we'll be right back after this. My lords, welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? Darth GM here with segment 68 of Fragments from the Rim. I love space battles. Seriously love them. My college years were dominated by hours of play on TIE Fighter and X-Wing Alliance. And it's an unusual occurrence to go more than two sessions in my games and not have some sort of space encounter. 
Saga Edition has done away with a lot of the old tactical-based combat mechanics from previous editions, like ship facing and turn radius, and allowed us to run space combat simply yet dynamically, just like ground combat. But just like ground combat, if you're not careful, your space encounters can devolve into uninteresting sessions of dice rolling. I noticed something when I ran my last game session. One PC was in a Jedi Starfighter, and the rest in a new class shuttle from the Clone Wars campaign guide. They faced off against six droid starfighters in orbit around Onderon. There were squares filled with wreckage from destroyed cruisers to allow for sources of cover. There was the atmospheric disturbance between Onderon and its moon Duxon, causing difficult terrain and some concealment for units within it. At first, it looked like the makings of a fun encounter. Then combat started and evolved into the droid fighters flying up to point-blank range on the new class shuttle or the Jedi Starfighter. The PC in the Jedi Starfighter smartly headed for the wreckage for all the cover he could get from the droids, but other than that, no one moved. All the ships just sat there, with their players, myself included, content to just roll dice until the droid fighters were wiped out. How droll. GMs, my advice to you is to take a page from your days of playing X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter games and apply that to Saga Edition. When your tiny little fragile fighter had to make attack runs on larger ships, you'd get your shields up, you'd bomb right in, make your attack run, and then fly off. If you had buddies with you, you'd wait and let one draw the target's fire, then all gang up on the ship and leave in different directions. Have your ships in Saga Edition do that too. Unless you're running a game based around a fighter squadron, odds are your PCs have one, maybe two ships. A light freighter they've turned into a gunship, and maybe a starfighter. Possibly held in something like my custom fighter cradle rules. If you fly up to point-blank range on a large ship, bristling with multiple PCs and multiple turrets, any ship that survives sitting next to the PC's gunship for one round should shoot first on their following turn and move as far away and as fast as possible, preferably in different directions, forcing the PC flying the gunship to pick one or two fighters to go after so his gunners can make attacks with the fewest penalties possible. It gets more action out of a map, presents a realistic tactic for the enemy, and should make the encounter more interesting and hopefully more fun. That's all for this week. If you have any questions, or want a copy of the Fighter Cradle rules I came up with, drop me a line at d20darth at gmail.com. Until next week, 20 side up, 1 side down. You have been listening to Fragments from the Rim and Transmission. Indeed. Thank you very much, Jimville. Mm-hmm. More fragments. And uh, let me stop down to the uh, old, well, not old, previous, the previous owner of the Fragments from the Rim segment, Trevor C. Thank you very much. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, Sorry. yeah. I get that, too. Thanks, Trev. Yep. Servos and Seconds. Average speed over unbroken ground for a target is four miles per hour. This gives us a radius of six miles to search. Want a hard target search of every outhouse, henhouse, doghouse. Okay, servos and circuits. <laughs> that music reminds you of the fugitive? It does. Oh, this is very good. Oh, we're... oh sorry. It was right over you. You know, since servos is like the meat of the show, I fire that and then that.
Oh, I'm 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 all about it. I, I was see I was trying unsuccessfully to segue you into firing that off, but you didn't need me because we're just that good. We're just that good. Oh, well, we are in the meat, and this week we are returning to our highly popular servos and circuits segment. Why? Because you have demanded it. That's why. Demand. Uh, the response for this segment, uh, devoted to talking about the various degrees of droids, has been so huge that we are steamrolling forward with it. Now, I do want to stop down for a bit and talk about some things, though. You guys have asked for some specifics, which we do want to address, as these things are honestly going to extend servos and circuits far beyond the five segments we'd originally planned. First of all, you guys have requested that we include a droid equipment into our discussion of the various degrees of droids. But the bottom line is, our segments are packed enough as it is, and uh, so much of the equipment discussion, which is good discussion, isn't so much relevant to the degree of droid as it is to the type of combative and social functions the droid employs. So, we are going to have a future Servos and Circuits segment entirely devoted to droid equipment. Point one. Point two. You guys have asked us to talk about the replica droids, uh, you know, found at the rest of the galaxy, um, lumped in with the fourth degree droid talk, as well as full replacement cyborgs and cybernetic limbs. We will not be talking about these with fourth degree droids. Why? Because they are unique enough to deserve their own servos and circuit segment huh. on lifelike droids. So I'm guessing that we're up to seven servos and circuits. At least. So, you know, we're, we're going to give you that as well. Uh, and lastly, you have requested that we defer in our normal walkthrough of the droid degrees and move immediately to fourth degree droids. We got no less than a couple forum posts, two emails, and a PM asking, please, please, please get to fourth degree droids now. Um, this, I'm glad to say, we will immediately oblige. See, uh, we didn't so even wait for the translation. No, we did not. Um, did not. As a note, I got one email from Argyle Jedi who asked me if we could skip to fifth-degree droids. Um, and I I was going to do it, and then we got, like, you know, five, six other requests asking us to skip to fourth. So I apologize, Argyle. You got outvoted, buddy. But I did get your email. Thank you for it. Um, so uh, tonight we are briefly bypassing third-degree droids for the time being. We'll cover them later. And we will move on to the ubiquitous battle droid. Uh, perhaps the most commonly played droid by droid players, and, and certainly the most common droid degree used by GMs to provide threats to the players. Uh, fourth degree droids can be comical, creepy, or deadly, but always offer interesting player and game master options. So warm up your blaster carbines, Gamer Nation. Fire up the subroutines on your targeting package as we take aim at fourth degree droids. That's right. Ah, oh, yes. Roger, roger. Roger, roger, rifles, rockets. Roger, roger, rifles and rockets. Yeah, tis, tis the life of a fourth degree droid, right? Very true. That, that's very true. Um, I don't know. I think I, I, I want to talk about this to start off with because this cracks me. I think, I think fourth degree droids, Dave, they, they occupy a really strange spot in, in the Star Wars universe in that they are droids designed and built specifically to kill. Yeah, yeah. Pesky, pesky problem with those things. Tis. I mean, at creation, fourth-degree droids are the only degree of droid created without a behavioral inhibitor. They can intentionally harm sentient beings. And these droids also have the distinction of being outlawed by nearly every system in the Star Wars galaxy. 
Now, here's the point I want to make, and tell me if you disagree. I find it ironic that these traits, which make the battle droids so reviled and outcast in the Star Wars universe, actually make it the most common choice for any player who wants to roll up a droid. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right or am I right? Absolutely you are. Yeah. So, uh, kind of funny there. It's iconic. Tis. Well, when most people talk about fourth-degree droids, they don't use the term fourth-degree droid. I mean, Dave, what do they most commonly use as, in terms of terminology? Battle droids. Precisely. Battle T- talk droid. to me about battle droids, dude. What, you know, what, what, are we, what, what is a battle droid? What are, what, are we, what are we thinking of here? So when you think of a battle droid, dude, the first thing you're going to think about is uh, the scene in, oh, what is it? Is, it? is it in two or is it in three? The mass-produced, you know, droid factory. That would be two. Okay, that's what I thought it was two. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people think of, of battle droids as these, you know, basically large-scale, mass-produced, expendable, roger, roger, and, you know, and big battle droids, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, the most famous one, obviously, is going to be your, um, your B-1, right? The cannon fodder of the Separatists during the Clone Wars. Bactoid Combat Automata's B-1. The B-1 series battle droid. Yeah. So um, comically inept is a good <laughs> word that uh, I would, uh, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're more powerful brethren. We're, we're lethal in, in large numbers. And um, these droids are, are really noticeably frail, lightly constructed are, but uh, you know they're they're designed with a purpose, and and that purpose is to work in tandem with uh, counterparts or other droids that are like themselves. True, right? So uh, there are other types of droids, battle droids specifically, that are designed to be a lot more robust and can work uh, solo and be deadly. Combatants, bounty hunters, assassins, saboteurs—you know the whole range, right? Yeah. So you've got the long-range probe droid. That is used by the Empire to the oh. fan-beloved HK-47 from Knights of the Old Republic video game. Die, meatbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. The, uh, the, these types of battle droids share a great deal of autonomy, corresponding individuality. Okay. Yeah. So, well, what, does that, what does that mean for Saga Edition, though? Okay. So basically what it means is that there are dozens of battle droids available for for uh, players that want to use option two of droid creation. For those who want to use option three, from scavenger guys to droid, two unique chassis options are present for fourth degree droids. Swizzle. And we'll get to them, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Okay. Because we do, and that's the way we roll. That's the way we roll. But first, but first, how do you role play a fourth degree droid? Hmm, very good question. How does a player role play a fourth degree droid really well? Um, I don't know. There's a couple. There, there's a couple things I think like that, that really two two frames of mind that, that are kind of a little divergent, but they they really kind of personify the the battle droid. Um, the first I, I kind of like to label that you are a tool of the organic world, and this is a this is a sharp distinction from other droid types. So I mean, like uh, unlike the, the the fiercely independent streaks found in second degree droids, which we talked about last episode. <laughs> Um, or the or the first, third, and fifth degree droids, which exist to serve organic beings overtly, and they're they're almost features of the background. Battle droids they don't so much serve organic masters as they are used 
by organic masters. And that's, a, that's an important distinction, which is going to come into your role playing. Um, it's going to guide the personality of your fourth degree droid. You are a blunt instrument. You are designed singularly to enforce order or to wreak hell. And you are a tool used with purpose. Um, right. So, I mean, w- with that in mind, what, what sort of role-playing tics or, or characterizations might, might you give your droid, your, your battle droid, Dave, I mean, with that tool of your organic world mindset? I would say that my first thing that comes to mind for me is like a militaristic type. Okay. So these droids would, fo- would, would follow a fairly rigid command structure, hierarchy, and uh, potentially even create them when they're not even there. Now, I really like that idea. You know? So, you know, you've got like a battle droid that's, you know, part of a crew of humans or whatever. You know, he might assign a command structure when there is none. Right. Okay, I, I like that. Yeah, I like you that. never know. But, um, you know, another thing, you don't really care uh, about death. Yeah. You know, I mean, no no second thoughts, no remorse. And, you know, if, if you're playing a droid, you, you should really be removed from the concept that it's bad to die. Yeah. All right, so for... You know, for playing a battle droid, um, killing is not as bad as breaking the chain of command. Mm, I got gotcha. you because you're you're you know you're pretty rigid in your rules. This is true, but at the end of the day, you're you're still a clanker. Yes, you know. And so that being said, you should relate a whole lot better to other droids than to the meat bags. Right, but but more than likely, you're always going to follow at least that one droid master. That's true. Um, you know, and that, that it lends itself to the command structure and all that, and and basically, you know, usually means that you're going to be subservient to um, organic party members. Fair enough. You know, so you know you have to follow rules from the meat bags, but you still get a great deal of autonomy. Now. This is good. I like this. I, I see this applying really to, to, the, to the, the, the Roger Rogers of the world, the B1 style droids, you know. But th- there's another mindset which I think is probably a lot more attractive to the player, um, <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, the next evolution of that previous mindset, which I, I kind of call basically, you know, HK47's mantra die, meatbag. Um, where you've gone beyond just treating death dispassionately and not caring about death, you actually learn to revel in it. Um, you know, this is personified by, of course, it, the iconic HK-47 of KOTOR fame, um, as well as infamous droid bounty hunter IG-88. Uh, you know, you're, you're a battle droid that actually truly believes droids are simply superior to organic beings. Um, th- this is a, a fun role-playing choice. Sadly, it's kind of a cliche role-playing choice at this point. Yeah, Matrix. Um, it really is. I mean, it's very, 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 very frequently used by players who want to make fourth-degree droids. If I have a player telling me he's going to roll up a battle droid, I, I kind of roll my eyes inside, and I, I kind of expect them to come out and have this attitude. Um, so it's fun, but, but you know, it, it is a little cliche. So if you're looking to really stretch your role-playing options, you know, eh, maybe, maybe not. But it, it's it's a fun choice, and it's common. So... What what role playing ticks, Dave, and what 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 characterizations can uh, a battle droid character use 
when they have this droid superiority mindset. Of course. So easy one, right? That you have an underlying belief in droid supremacy, so you're going to be condescending to all the meatbags. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, condescending, if not outright belligerent to the meatbags. This is true. All right. It, it, it can be fun, but, you know, if you go overboard with it, you could get into some party conflicts. Be careful. Yeah. Thanks. All right. So number two on the obvious chain of command here is that you revel in the fact that you are an instrument of death, a finely tuned instrument of death, I might add, and take pride in mastering any weapon that you possibly can come across. You know, the yeah. fa- and and the fact of the matter is that uh, you're playing uh, you're playing one of these droids that is going to have this superiority complex. You're probably the type of individual that's also going to want to min max, and so you're going to want to integrate multiple weapons into your systems and specialized target packages and all that. Yeah. So that kind of plays right into your hand. Yeah. Um, also, keep in mind that you are hunted. You're very much illegal in all systems, just about. This is true. I mean, you're, you know, you, you might you might be fun to be HK-47, but those kind of antics, I mean, those are going to get you disintegrated by even the military units and governments that do use battle droids legitimately. Right. If, if you go hog wild with this kind of behavior, even they are not going to tolerate it. Right. So, I don't know. It... it in my mind, it's going to lead to a little bit of a what would you call it? Really, a twitchy mindset. Yeah, a little, yeah. a little paranoid, maybe. Yeah, exactly. You hide what you really are. Well, that's what HQ forty seven himself did. I mean, he masqueraded as a protocol droid, you know, for example, just to hide the fact that he was, you know, a, an assassin droid, <laughs> basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, you know, you just go ahead and be supremacist. You know, be a be a droid supremacist, <laughs> which is really kind of weird to say. But be smart enough to know that it will get you disintegrated, or at the very least dismantled, if you're not very careful. True that. Cool. Okay. Well, those are two, I guess, you know, interesting uh, role-playing minds that you can take for the character. Um, awesome. Well, okay, let, let's talk about, um, move on to, to playing a fourth-degree droid. Okay, so we've talked about the role-playing decisions. When we're talking about the mechanics here, what, what can fourth-degree droids do really well? What role do you occupy? What's the best way to create a fourth-degree droid? Um, well, let's, let's talk about creation, first of all. Now, we are going to touch on each of the three methods of droid creation. Again, kind of. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going we're gonna to give lip service to option two, as usual. Um, but more importantly, how, how to best use each option to create your fourth degree droid. So talk to me about custom droid creation, Dave. Talk to me about option one. Of course, option one, right? Most versatile, common for players who like to min-max. And uh, the system, you know... Uh, and you run across those guys all the time, right? Yeah. That absolutely want to min-max and, and cram the most integrated weaponry and, and gear into your frames. Um, you also get some second-degree droid traits. So, oh, such as? All right, so here we go. Uh, plus two to dex, minus two to intelligence, minus two to charisma. Okay. All right, so you've been built to shoot things really good. Not to particularly think or talk very well. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you're a tin can that can shoot. Pretty much. So just remember that, right? Ability modifiers uh, really lend themselves to a ranged combatant. So keep yeah. that in mind. That makes sense. 
Uh, droid traits. You know, you've got the normal droid traits. So, um, you know, as usual, it's important to have access to mechanics. You know, should be fairly easy for you, as we'll come to. But, uh, but more than any other degree of droid, you will be taking damage. You are a battle droid. Yeah, you're going to be fighting, right? So uh, you have no, no behavioral inhibitor, which we've already touched on. That right. is a key differentiator for this degree of droid. That's right. So you're very much a meat bag shooter. Yes. And combat is your primary role. So initiative perception should be your primary skills. Anything uh, else that you can do to boost your hit points, uh, obviously a wise idea. Okay. And, um, you know, most common class has got to be soldier. Yeah. You know, strength might seem like a dump stat, you know, if you're making a range build. Uh, but it also determines how much integrated gear you can carry. So, yeah. you know, keep that in mind because it also directly impacts your fortitude defense, which leads to damage threshold. So make sure that that's, you know, high as well. So dex and strength should be your highest stats. So don't overlook the strength. That's important to note. I mean, obviously, droids have no con score, but a lot of people forget that a droid applies their strength modifier to their fortitude defense instead of con. Right. And, and that, that is a big deal. Um, so, cool. Well, okay. Um, so, option two, we'll talk about that briefly. Um, the standard droid model. I mean, as usual, guys, this is our least recommended method, mostly because it's just the most restrictive. It gets you the least bang for your buck. There are tons of options for player-ready battle droids, but most of them are going to saddle you with useless non-heroic levels, which make you a liability due to the low hit points involved. Rarely is this worth it for a player character. Um, You know, when you compare to option one and three. Option one, which is going to give you the ability to customize integrated gear so much, and option three which has a lot of other useful benefits. So, Ooh. Dave, tell me, about, uh, tell me about option three, man, the stock droid chassis. Meatbag. All right, so uh, as usual, this is going to be our, our most highly recommended method of fourth-degree droid creation. We, as usual, strongly recommend option three. Highly, highly. recommend. Yes, we cannot tell you how much we recommend option <laughs> three. <laughs> All right, so you're not going to get the ability to to twink out your gear to the extent you will with option one, but uh, the negatives that you'll take are a whole lot less, and you'll gain a host of other options that simply are not available with any other droid uh, creation uh, option at all. Uh, You've got two chassis that are available to you, both of which are quite different from uh, one another, which allows you to customize, uh, wonderfully customize character the battle droid chassis is on page 11 the scavenger's guide to droid and the probe droid chassis on page 12 of scavenger's guide to droids each is a fourth degree but they have entirely different directions and abilities now i love this because when you look at the other degrees of droid in terms of chassis like we talked about with with you know we had the technical droid and the astromech last time you know they're a little different, but you don't have a whole lot of really different directions. You know what I mean? They just have like minor differences between the two. These two chassis, they're radically different. And, and I think that's a really good point to make because it does offer that huge degree of customization. Yes. That's what I'm saying right there. I was poking fun at the chat room. <laughs> poking something. Yo. So poke, 
poke for me at the at the uh, at the battle droid chassis, and then I'll, I'll hit up the probe droid chassis. Man, talk to me about the first chassis. Okay, the that are unique to that battle droid chassis. All right, so here we go. Ability modifiers: plus two to dex, minus two to intelligence. So, again, you're made to shoot, not to think. All right, yeah. you don't suffer that minus two to charisma that the uh, option one droid does. So you're a little bit more intimidating. That's a good point, because charisma penalties stink for a droid that wants to intimidate, and that can be helpful for a battle droid. Yep. Uh, let's see. Size. You're medium-sized. Yeah. Mostly. Uh, your movement is very humanoid in appearance. You get a, a six-square uh, walking locomotion. Mm-hmm. And you share the same traits, uh, traits as option one. Yeah. Now, bonus feats. Ooh, b- b- bonus feats. Yes. All right, first level. Battle droid can select both um, one armor proficiency and one weapon proficiency feat that they qualify for, regardless of class or anything else. Dude. That's huge, boys and girls. So first level soldier, you can immediately be proficient in every kind of armor in existence because you can pick up heavy. Yeah. And NAB weapon proficiency, advanced melee, or heavy weapons, both of which are extremely useful to both a ranged or melee build. Give me heavy weapons for the win. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. All right, bonus equipment. Aside from uh, any kind of standard droid equipment, it's worth noting here that um, the battle droid starts with uh, locked access and a um, plastel shell. Right, which is a, a light armor that gives a plus two bonus to reflex, which is not too great. No, you know, in fact, it can become a liability, right? Pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. unless you know, unless you spend a talent on uh, on armored defense. I'm I'm really up in the air about that because, like, the chassis that that automatically give you. There's others too that say, you know what? Boom! You automatically get some armor. Well, gosh, I hope you take your first level in soldier or or pick up. In armor proficiency feat, you know what I mean? Otherwise, you're really ineffective. So, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, thankfully, you're most likely going to pick Soldier with this character anyway. So, yeah. Right. More than likely. Okay. So that's the battle droid chassis. Well, oh. the, the other one, the probe droid chassis. Um, yes. Yes, unique features. Now, Dave, you know, of course, the probe droid. This is the... I love the, the probe droid. Uh, dude, I love it. You know, the little, like, spider lo- floating spider-looking thing, yes. you know, that... Uh, Chewbacca and Han Solo shot off, shot down in, in, yep. on Hoth. Looks like a couple of donuts joined in the center with a bunch of appendages. Yes. Um, very cool. Um, so, interestingly enough, very, very different. The ability modifiers for a probe droid chassis, plus two to wisdom, minus two to charisma. That's it. Um, interestingly, I mean, the, the probe droid is designed to be a scout. Okay, a lethal one, but a scout. Uh, as such, their abilities really lend themselves to perception and survival, but of course, not communication so much. Um, most probe droids medium sized, um, and movement. I love this. The, usually, probe droids are non-humanoid in appearance, um, and so as such, you have the benefit of a six-square hover speed, not walking speed. Um, this is an amazing boon for a scouty type character. Why? Because it renders difficult terrain meaningless. To yes. Play. You just, very, you very just float over that. Exactly. Whatever. 
uh, up Rocks. the stairs, across the, the rubble, anything. Yeah. Um, of course, you share the same droid traits as all droids. Um, and here we get to the fun stuff. Hardwired design. All probe droids are immediately trained in perception for free at first level. No spending of a train skill needed. No feat having to be taken. You just are trained in perception at first level. Bam. Yeah. Um, conditional bonus feat. Love it. At first level, if you are trained in the skill, you can select either skill focus perception or skill focus stealth for free. Love it. And lastly, bonus equipment. Um, now, as- aside from the standard droid equipment, uh, the probe droid, of course, has its its unusual hovering locomotion, uh, but it also has locked access, um, an improved sensor package, and dark vision nice. out of the box. Very nice. But a probe droid lacks a vocabulator, so you're going to be uh, communicating in beeps and whistles unless you get one installed later on. So there you go. So that was my that was my uh, audio rendition of the, the scene from that. Of course, I thought it was pretty good myself. Uh, you know, hey, 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 uh, hey, hey, hey. So, okay, dude. So, so, um, what are what are our recommendations for option three? If you if you if you're going this route, uh, yeah. I mean, for for either chassis. Um. Well, what? The option one recommendations uh, recommendations really still have to apply in my mind. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Scout is is a pretty good choice for the probe droid. Obvious choice. Yeah. Yeah, because that's uh, giving you the necessary skill list, skill related abilities, uh, to make the natural features of this chassis work really, really well. So, yeah. um, you know, at least Scout and the Soldier both have mechanics as a class skill. Absolutely. Right? So you absolutely have to grab it. And if you begin in Scout, which you should as a probe droid. You'll have the skills needed to pick up perception and stealth, and you know that's uh, in addition to mechanics and initiative. So, if uh, if you start off as a soldier, mechanics, initiative, perception should be at the top of your list, and uh, consider pilot knowledge tactics useful and fitting choices as well. Much agreement. That's what I would say. Much agreement. I like it. And there's also talk like okay, so scout is obviously the natural choice for the probe droid chassis. It is important to note, guys, that, of course, Scout has a bonus feat, uh, starting feat of Shake It Off, which requires you to have a Constitution score of 13. You don't have a Constitution score. And it has been clarified by the devs that a droid simply cannot take this feat. Okay? Um, That stinks. You're going to have to deal with it. It'll be worth it, trust me. So, FYI. Too bad for you. Too bad for you. No soup for you. So, okay, now that we've talked about the various build options for, for going for droid creation, let, let's get into the, the specifics of the fourth degree droid talents. Now, I mean, as we've discussed, a droid has access to a special talent tree specific to its droid degree. Um, these droid talents can be taken at any time, similar to force talents, in place of your class talent. Uh, the fourth degree droid talent tree was first published on page 103 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide and expanded further on page 27 of Scavenger's Guide to Droids. And we are going to talk about the talents for this tree found in both books. So uh, let's, let's, let's go through them, Dave, because there, there's some good ones here. Um, hit, hit me up with the first talent. What are we looking at? All right, so uh, combat repairs, right? Huh. 
Yeah, very few analogs uh, elsewhere in this system, and frankly, one of the very first talents that you should consider as a battle droid. Uh, and what it is basically is once a day, as a full round action, you can use the mechanic skill on yourself to perform repair. Normally, you know, this takes an hour. <laughs> and you get to do it in six seconds. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> so obviously you want to be maxed out of mechanics, though, to, to get it done right. And of yeah. course, remember, repairing yourself, minus five to your mechanics check. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer that way, but you know, hey. Hey, dude, it's still, still, this is a great talent. Yeah, what's next? Droid smash! Droid smash! <laughs> um, I like droid smash. I mean, listen, ranged combat, it, it kind of seems to be the natural choice for most fourth-degree droid builds. Um, Fifth-degree droids is really where you get into the natural melee combatants, but honestly, the battle droids that focus on strength and melee combat, which you can do, they really benefit from this talent, droid smash. What this talent does is it allows you to apply double your strength modifier to melee damage rolls, even when wielding a weapon with only one hand. And of course, David, as you know, normally you have to be wielding a weapon with two hands to apply double your strength. Uh, yes, I'm aware. So what this does is it allows for a multi-weapon, multi-attack droid that can max out his damage very, very easily. And we really, like you say, man, you know, we this is one of those things we don't see an analog for this very much elsewhere. This is very cool. Yeah. It's fantastic. But assuming you're not going melee and you want to continue on this 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 uh this ranged path. Ah yes. You need a targeting package. Ah, the the next talent, sir. What Ah yes. Very Yeah, it's a it's an odd little talent, very useful uh for certain builds. So <clears throat> it allows you to spend two consecutive swift actions in the same round. And by doing so, you activate special targeting software, which gives you a plus two to attack and damage rolls on your next attack, ranged or melee. Or melee. That's okay. I, dude, that's Both. awesome. Yes. As long as the target is still within line of sight and point blank ranged for range attacks or within reach for melee attacks. That's awesome. So for range builds that focus on aiming, these two swift actions might be better spent using the aim action. But it's important to note that, you know, the wording of the talent says it applies to your next attack, right? So yeah, that means you could potentially use the targeting package and then aim in a subsequent round. So you get to stack up the bonuses, right? Oh, to I like. I like to damage. So you know, as long and but and you know, as long as the guy gets, you know, walk through this with me. I'm thinking off the top of my head here. As long as the guy's still in, you could. You could shoot, or you you know you spend two, spend two swifts for targeting package, right? And then the and, next and round, this guy remain in line of sight though, right? As long as he remains in line of sight, the next round you shoot and you spend two more swifts to aim. Yeah, done, dude. I love it. I love it. And the fact that you can use that with melee attacks that makes it very versatile as well. Yeah, damn Skippy. Okay, I love it. Okay, well, this brings us to the, the fourth talent in the tree, Just a Scratch. Um, I, I like this. It, it's cute. Um, this is actually a, a phenomenal damage reduction ability. It has some limitations, but work with me on this. Once per encounter, as a reaction, you can reduce the damage you take from a single attack that targets your reflex 
by an amount equal to your fortitude defense. So if you get hit for 30 points, you got a fortitude of 15. Well, guess what? You just got hit for 15 points instead. Dude, that's pretty nice. It is. The kicker is that you have to have equipped and be proficient in medium or better armor. Ew. Yeah, and as a droid, that means installing some heavy-duty armor onto your frame, which, without proper talents, will reduce your speed heavily as well. Um, it gets expensive. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be... I mean, aside from the raw expense of it, you're, you know, from a, from a, from a mechanical expense, you're going to be eating up talents with armored defense and improved armored defense, and probably juggernaut, because you want to avoid that nasty speed penalty. Um, but if you are going the armor monkey route, then this talent is a very nice kicker to add onto that build. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right, so now we have target acquisition. Oh. Yeah, now we talk it. <laughs> uh, again, once per encounter, swift action, designate one enemy target within line of sight, and for the rest of that encounter, you get a plus one to all attacks and all damage rolls against that target, as long as, as it remains in line of sight. For the rest of the encounter? The rest of the encounter. That's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. And it's a prerequisite for our next talent. Ah, target lock. Yes. Um, this is kind of target acquisition part two. Basically, you know, because target acquisition, your target has to remain within line of sight um, or you lose the benefit, basically. With target lock, if your target from target acquisition leaves line of sight, you automatically reacquire them when they re-enter your line of sight. Um, that's the primary benefit. Also, as a nice kicker, you get a plus five bonus on perception checks against your target's stealth checks. So basically, the meat bag can't hide from you very easily. Nice. Once you've targeted them, you know. Not bad. Not bad at all. Find the meat bag. Find yeah. the meat bag. Uh, and the last one is a weapons power surge. Like so it. This is a, this is a versatile combat talent. provides a very powerful benefit, but with a strong cost. Uh, again, a per-encounter per power that uh, once per encounter is a free action. You can increase the damage dealt by a weapon mounted to one of your tool mounts by plus one or plus two dice of damage. Dang. All right, but afterwards, you will move minus one or minus two steps down the condition track. Got it, got it, got it. All right, it. but, you know, as a big final blow, totally could be worth it, dude. I, I love this. Now, I mean, the fact that it's, and it calls out that the weapon has to be mounted to you, so you can't, like, be holding a blaster rifle and have this apply to that. It has to be an integrated piece of weaponry. Yeah, this kind of fits the whole, you know, last stand, uh, bam, and, you know, harness all your power into the deflector shield. Bah! I love it. And I love the fact that it can apply to ranged and melee weapons. It just, just has to be an integrated. It can apply to a flamethrower, for Pete's sake, as long as yeah. it draws its power from your, you know, yeah. it, it, as long as it's, it, it's, it's integrated into you. You know what I mean? Yep. That's kind of cool. I mean, would, 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 would Salura, your, your meat wall, would there be situations where you would take a minus two to the condition track if it meant for one attack you could deal plus two dice of damage? I, yeah, probably. I haven't come across very many of those situations yet, but... Well, it's because at this point you usually kill things at one blow anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> that being said... There would Dude. there would op, there would obviously be uh, opportunity there. That's true. Cool. Okay. So, all right. Let, let, let's let's bring it all together, man. Let's let's talk about some fourth degree droid builds. Um, 
uh, you know, what what types of characters can you make with all this varied info? Uh, tonight, we're actually going to present three build options, not two, because there was one I, I just couldn't not put in here. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to create a highly effective character that, that wants to epitomize being the fourth degree droid. Um, so, Dave, t- talk to us about our first build option here, man. I, I, I love it, and it really plays into one of the talents we were just talking about. Ah, uh, yes. This is called the Juggernaut. And this is not a curler out of Manitoba for those men with brooms fan. <laughs> this is a combatant, a droid combatant. So, as a combat droid, you're going to be in the thick of things all the time. But you're not like those squishy meat bags. You are a being of metal and wiring. You're tough and you're resilient. Most attacks simply bounce off you. This build forces uh, focuses on being a heavily armored, super tough combatant that, you know, if he gets any hits at all, can just shake it off. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. Base classes right here, right? If you're using option one, soldier is your only real choice. You need all the armor proficiencies, trained mechanics, initiatives, as well as use computer to qualify for the independent droid. Absolutely essential. All right, do what you can to, to pump up your strength as high as it'll go, okay, not only for your fortitude defense, but to ensure you can carry the heavy armor systems and weapons that you're going to be wielding. Yeah. Dexterity, as we mentioned, is already very important for your reflex defense. Um, but, you know, don't struggle too hard to get any more than a plus two or maybe a plus three to dex. All right, is the, the, very, the very best armor you can get will severely limit your, your maximum dex bonus anyway. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. So uh, for option three, which is the preferred uh, option of the Order 66 podcast, if you didn't get that before. (laughs) All right, the battle droid chassis is the way that you need to go here. Use bonus feats to pick up heavy armor proficiency and either uh, weapon proficiency advanced melee or weapon proficiency heavy. That choice is going to be determined by your decision to become a melee or a ranged combatant. Melee. So, um, so, like, well, this build, it's like, it's not so much focused on the combat as it is the defense, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you can really choose. Yeah, and, and to me, melee may seem like an obvious choice. Yeah. You know, considering strength is going to be a high stat for you. Yeah. You know, but, you know, your natural bonus to dex will also make heavy weapon uh, very attractive. That's true. In terms of choice. So, um, you know, you've got a, a natural you know, plasteel hull, right? Yeah. Uh, or he- or shell, I guess I, I say hull, but it's, it's really a shell. That integrated armor from the, the chassis. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really a huge in- hindrance to this build. Um, you know, your light armor plus two just isn't going to cut it. So you want to strip that out as soon as you possibly can, upgrade it to the best armor that you can, but make sure, as we said, at least medium. Cool. All right, talent-wise. When considering your base talents, armor specialist talent tree is where it starts and ends. Yeah. Uh, armor defense, improved armor defense are your first choices, followed by juggernaut, hence the name, juggernaut. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Then, then move into uh, commanding presence. Okay. All right. And and the reason this is important, I can hear your I can hear your questioning. Is it okay? Why would I want to do that? Adds persuasion as a class skill list. Okay. All right. <laughs> then draw fire. Oh. Okay. Draw draw fire is the one where you can make the persuasion check to basically force everyone to target you instead of your allies. Correct. Uh, I bingo. Understanding with, has dawned. With all your defenses, this is what you want to do. Gotcha. Um, eventually, if you uh, if you stay soldier, pick up um, a second skin and armor mastery. Shield expert could be another choice, uh, but we'll come to that. Um, now, as far as the droid talents go, uh, just a scratch is absolutely perfect for this build. And yeah. combat repairs. If you decided to go melee as your primary attack method, Droid Smash is a natural follow-up. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. What about feats? All right, so feet, feet-wise. Um, this is a combative droid, and most likely your destiny is to uh, repair yourselves after being damaged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, skill-focused mechanics, very wide choice. After that, skill-focused persuasion... Uh, okay, All right, okay. that's important to, to to draw fire. All right, the Juggernaut builds feats, then focus on what else? What else is there besides defense? Uh, defense, uh, a little bit more defense, and then uh, yeah, improve defense. <laughs> Dodge martial arts, all bring up that defense, uh, that reflex defense. So extra second wind, unstoppable, combatant ensures that you can hit. Um, you know you can you you can get hit points you know via second wind multiple times per day. Yeah. And well, uh, multiple times per encounter, I might add. Unstoppable combatant, great feat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and lastly, consider um, the specialized droids' feats like uh, ion shielding, which percent per, really helps you know protect against that natural weakness. And a droid shield mastery. All now right. you mentioned you mentioned she you mentioned shields earlier that you'd come to that. I mean, what what's up here? Okay, so a key one of the key features, right, of 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 the build is the installation of a shield generator as soon as you can, right? Shields shields for a droid sound like a great idea until you realize the fact that it requires a DC-20 endurance check as three swift actions to increase damage shields. That's not easy for somebody with no con score. Right. <laughs> All right, so uh, this feat allows you to restore shields without a check and with only two swift actions. So how about that? Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right, so as we go further into prestige classes, independent droid is, is you know, I mean, that's where you're going to start. You've got to obviously be sure to have used computer, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna start out here strictly for the hit points. Uh, sapience really means very little to you, but the hit points are are the real desire. So repair self, soft reset are good tools for for repair and stand staying on your feet. Okay. Okay. And so so what's what's the bottom line, man? I mean, what's the bottom line for this build? You're a tank. Okay. I mean that's where it starts and ends right there, you know. I mean your your priority really needs to be right here is um, 
getting the absolute best armor you can on your chassis as soon as possible, followed by a shield generator. Okay? So install the best armor you can, shield generator, expensive proposition. Very expensive proposition. Big time. So it may take a while. Might want to butter up your party's noble while you're Yeah, out. speaking of that, <laughs> your party's noble that has the wealth talent. What? What? Okay, what, if I'm going to shoot for an armor, what are you going to? Rec- what, what would you recommend? All right, most bank for your most bang for your buck, I would say um, duranium plating. Okay. You know, I mean, that'll get you the most bang for your buck, so to speak, or sixty four hundred bucks. <laughs> For quite some time. It ain't cheap. No, 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 no. So, uh, you know, as as time goes on, you get just, again, get the best shield generator you can afford. And uh, But you have to, of course, remember that you're medium droids. So you're limit, limited uh, in terms of max SR to 15. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So um, basically, you know, dude, bottom line, you want to wade into combat, use draw fire, Makes you the only targetable character within six squares. Use your armor and your shields to just soak up all the hits. When you do get damaged, use your talent and ability to reduce the damage or repair yourself quick and easy. Fire heavy bur- heavy fire burst or, or hack at a nearby opponent when you're able to, but your goal is to be the targeting dummy for your foes. <laughs> so you just basically take up your allies. You know, you, you, I mean... And and just give them the time really to mop up the mess. Gotcha. You know, so you you take up their time and boom, give it to your allies. Done. Cool. Well, the second build is the one that I I really couldn't resist throwing in here. Um, I I I really I like this concept. Um, calling it the Jedi training droid. <laughs> Uh, this is an unusual build, and one that I just I just had to talk about be- because it's an unusual and yet well supported build. This is basically simple concept. It's a droid that specializes in using a lightsaber, um, relying either on brute strength or subtle finesse to wield that unusual weapon for a droid. Um, base classes um, again. If you're using option one, start against soldiers. Still the best way to do it, but unusually. You can start multi-classing into Jedi at second level if you want. <laughs> there is benefit in doing so, as long as lightsaber proficiency is your multi-class feat, since you obviously cannot be Force-sensitive. Um, same recommendations apply to option three, with the, with the battle droid chassis being the preferred option. Um, and for the, for the battle droid chassis bonus feat, you can actually pick up weapon proficiency lightsabers, um, because that is a weapon proficiency you can qualify for. And you really then don't have to multi-class into Jedi if you don't want to. So, it's thought. Huh. Um, talents. Um, soldier talents uh, can lend themselves surprisingly well to a lightsaber combatant. Uh, you got staples like Devastating Attack, Melee Smash, uh, Indomitable, Tough as Nails. They mean the world to any melee combatant. Um, add in there, throw in nearly every talent in the shock box or talent tree which can be used with any melee attack, by the way. Um, some talents like Dirty Fighting, Mercenaries Grit, Stunning Strike. You've got a powerful lightsaber fighter with abilities that your average Jedi is not prepared for, which is really even more interesting. 
if you do decide to actually take some levels in Jedi, there are a lot of talents that you can benefit from, uh, mostly from the Jedi Guardian and lightsaber combat talent trees. Keep in mind, though, that you can't take any talents that require any kind of use the force check. But even then, dude, close maneuvering, elusive target, exposing strike, guardian strike, precision, weapon specialization. Great talents that, that make you fearsome in melee, and they require no use the force checks whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you can also make use of some of the basic droid talents very easily. Target acquisition, target lock, weapons power surge, they all make sense for this build, as does droid smash potentially. See, with this build, you could choose to go high strength or high dex, since obviously a lightsaber is a finessable weapon. And since you've got that plus two dex kicker, it's often a wise choice. But it's really your call. If you do stick with strength, then you can attack with two lightsabers, thanks to droid smash, and retain two times your strength bonus to each attack roll with droid smash. Very nice. Mm. Yes. All right, feats. Um, after mechanics and use computer are taken care of uh, for, for skill choices, obviously be sure to train them and train in them with your feats if you, if you haven't been able to already. Yep. Uh, Weapon-focused lightsaber, obvious choice. Um, but first and foremost, if you have decided on a dex build, weapon finesse should be your first feat so that you can use that souped-up dex modifier with your lightsaber attacks. Good point. After that, it's melee attack feats all the way, man. Rapid strike or mighty swing, um, excellent choices, followed by feats that really make up that, that dueling aspect of a lightsaber training droid, fun and functional. Flurry, I'm looking at you um, for a couple reasons, not the least of which is that you will uh, replace point-blank shot when I want to go into Elite Trooper later. <laughs> uh, withdrawal strike lightsabers, very fitting, as is acrobatic strike coupled with skill training acrobatics if you've got those Jedi levels under your belt. Um, other melee staples like power attack, cleave, running attack, all should be considered. Um, prestige classes. Uh, again, independent droid. This is nice due to the hit die and the base attack bonus, but mostly for the, the melee attack beneficial talents you'll find therein. Power surge, power boost, they provide great benefits for a melee fighter. Um, but after you've taken those three levels in independent droid and you're going to move into eighth level, the proper lightsaber training droid is going to move into elite trooper at eighth level for the melee specialist and weapons master talent trees. They're just too good to pass up for a melee fighter. Um, so what? The bottom line. Uh, this, is, this is a fun build that works amazingly well in the Rebellion or the Dark Times era because you can be a droid that once served the Jedi Order. Very, very cool. Maybe, maybe your droid character seeks vengeance for the deaths of your friends, or, or maybe you were once like a, a lightsaber training droid designed by a, a Sith master who turned against his creators. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of options you can go with. There are two obstacles to this build. Okay, the first is if you're choosing option three and the, the, the uh, battle droid chassis, it's that mandatory plasteel shell um, which becomes a major hindrance without a spent talent. So have it uninstalled as soon as possible. Um, the other obstacle here is the use of a weapon, a lightsaber, that is extremely expensive for a non-Jedi. I mean, Dave, what? One of the nice features of a Jedi is at first level, you get a lightsaber. You just get it. You don't have to pay for it. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? um, that's not going to happen for this build. Nope. Nope. Um, it is possible to acquire a lightsaber with your base credits at first level. I mean, they're three grand, but you're, you're not going to be able to afford much else. Oh. Um, 
you know, your lightsaber is a rare weapon, and really it's the heart of your character. Mount it to a tool mount, ASAP, um, you know, so it's always there for you. And combat, for you, should involve shocking the heck out of your foes as you enter combat and unleash a weapon that is very uh, iconoclastic to the droid that wields it. You know, you don't associate lightsaber and droid very well. Not and I guess that's, that's really why I, I like this build. Yeah. So it's very, very fun. You're gradually building toward General Grievous. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. All right, so we've talked about a couple good, um, uh, you know, direct combat or, or, or obviously in-your-face builds, high defense, high combat. Talk to me about our last build because it's, it's a little divergent. We're going to call this Shadow. The Durasteel Shadow. The Durasteel Shadow. <laughs> yes. All right. This one is going to focus on primarily... Uh, a droid that is used for assassination, stealth, reconnaissance, and covert combat. Um, this is a droid that flits about unseen. It's a master of ranged combats, a sniper, a scout, hidden attacker. Cool. All right. We're headed toward the Black Donuts. Indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. Base classes. Your option one, uh, starting as a scout or, or, or a scoundrel, is pretty much essential because that gives you access to stealth. That's kind of important, yeah. Yeah. Scout's the best choice unless you're really focused on, uh, on stealthy combat options and, and need that uh, scoundrel talent. Multi, multi-classing into soldier is pretty wise because, one, obviously you get the hit points, but very useful for the base attack bonus. Right, this uh, ranged uh, uh, build is much less concerned about super high hit points. On uh, you know, from that perspective, though, if you're threatened in combat frequently, you know, you, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's all I really have to say about that. Um, so you have to be away from the main fight or just be undetectable. Hence the stealth. So Dex needs to be your uh, highest ability score, followed by Wisdom. So that aids your ability to perceive and track your foes. Best recommendation we can give you is the Proid, the Probe Droid chassis, option three of droid creations, for many reasons. We'll come to it. Talent-wise, uh, scout talents. We've uh, discussed this in previous episodes. Make for excellent sniper-type build. Awareness, camouflage talent trees are both superb for this build. That. Uh, allows you to remain undetected yet perceptive and much more effective in rage combat hidden attack talent also essential to the sniper if you're going that way you know that route of this build right um the single uh one one single level in scoundrel is uh to me you know that just screams dastardly strike yeah very beneficial in this build and uh, soldier talents can be useful, especially uh, with the weapon specialist talent tree. But uh, this build makes uh, very early use of droid talents, uh, targeting package, target lock, and target acquisition. Mm. So from a feat standpoint now, um, you're going to start, <clears throat> you should start with the probe droid chassis, option three. This puts you ahead of the curve. You get a free skill focus in either perception or stealth. 
but be sure to grab skill focus in the one you didn't get for free. Right. Okay. After that, your feet should be focused on stealthy combat. The build is all about getting a bead on your target from hiding and taking time to set up the shot for maximum damage. So this means feats like Deadeye, Careful Shot, Far Shot, Deadly Sniper, Grazing Shot, and Sniper Shot. So couple that with droid-specific feats like aiming accuracy, pinpoint accuracy, and multi-targeting. And all this, this combination makes you one of the deadliest snipers around, even though you are Durasteel. All right, from a prestige class standpoint, independent droid seems like a you know the natural fit for for base attack bonus and, and hit points, of course. But for this build, Vanguard is the really true choice that fits good. Uh, we've talked about Vanguard. I've yeah. never devoted to it. Yeah. So uh, talents like enhanced vision, mark the target, soften the target, lets you make the most of your attacks and discover the foes that use the same tactics you do. <laughs> See? So bottom line, uh, you're built to enter hostile terrain, move about unencumbered, remain hidden. You specialize in tracking your foes. You pick up the tiny little details, and you seek out your enemies. When you do attack, you take your time. You set up targeting package. You follow that by aiming with all the benefits that you've accrued to go with that. And when you finally do strike, it's going to be a massive bonus, massive damage hit that will most likely take your opponent down or damage him heavily. After which, you use the sniper application of stealth to fade back into the background. And you simply disappear. The Durasteel Shadow. Shadow? The Durasteel Shadow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, that is it, Gamer Nation. Thank you for your requests. Um, I hope that fourth degree droid talk was a little beneficial for you. And uh, ostensibly, we should be returning next week, yes? Yes, I would say so. I'm hoping, anyway. We've got, I've got some Friday night, you know. Friday night is a very important night for me. Okay. Friday night would be December 17th. December seventeenth would be the opening of Tron Legacy. Ooh, so like we might have a, like an extended post show afterwards. It's entirely possible. Yes. So the eighteenth, my uh, in laws have their thirtieth wedding anniversary. That I'll be uh, actually DJing the party. And uh, congrats, congrats to your in laws. Yes. And then Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday will be, hopefully, the Order 66 podcast, episode 124, for your edification. Uh-huh. And then, uh, with any luck, we might actually be able to get in a bout of day after Christmas celebration, because I'll be out of town after that mm. for um, New Year's Day. Uh, that, you know, that weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I'll be out of town a little bit, but... Um, you know, yeah. but there is show a plenty a coming. Okay. Oh yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't put any more a apostrophes in there. I'm sorry. That's right. That's okay. 
Oh, thank you again, Gamer Nation, uh, for your continued support and listenage. Is that a word? I don't know. It is now. It is now. Uh, just a quick reminder, of course, head to the forums, d20radio.com. Sign up if you are not a member already of the forum community. It's a great community. We love it. Um, and while you're there at the website, d20radio.com, uh, get the urge. Pull out your pocketbook and uh, sign up to become a D20 Radio partner. And uh, if you're also feeling urges, give us a call at the Lose the Line, 206-600-5872. Leave us a nice little liner, and we'll happily play it and get your voice heard. Leave us a question while you're at it. Yes, indeed. And um, gosh, you, we've already told us our email address is Dave. And oh, yeah, follow us on Twitter. <laughs> you can find me at GM Chris. And I'm GM Dave. Easy peasy. Rice and cheesy. That's right. And if you so desire, leave us a leave us a little feedback on iTunes. That helps our that helps maintain us on the first page. And that would be ideal. Twould twould be ideal. Twould Indeed. Be ideal. Die meatbag die. Die meatbag die. All right, guys. Sixty two of you in the uh, chat room. Thank you very much, Echo Base, for being in attendance on this Sunday evening. You guys, here before I even ask, I've already got five episode recommendations coming out of that chat room. So we will, <laughs> we will, yeah. And most of them have a tendency there to follow along the lines of terminating meat bags. Love so, it. yeah. Last there is a, an Order sixty six Facebook uh, page, but I'm not sure where it is. So I'll have to go find it. We'll have it for you next week. There we go. Very good. Thanks again, Gamer Nation, and uh, we'll see you next week. In the meantime, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, keep them not rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.